It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Mitch. They love their cougars. Mitch Harper. Good afternoon, Cougar Nation, and welcome into a new edition of the Cougar Tracks podcast here on KSL Sports. Com. I'm your BYU insider, Mitch Harper. Happy as always to be on board here on the podcast with you today. It's Monday, August 22nd, one week away from game week. Next week at this time, we'll be chatting it up with Kalani Satake in his weekly press conference. It'll be good stuff. And of course, this podcast will stream throughout the football season on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at high noon Mountain Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. on the West Coast. Uh, got a little bit off to a late start today, a few minutes after noon. So I apologize for that. We're having some technical issues there, but we're all set up now. And the roadmap for today's show on this Monday, August 22nd, going to be talking about some BYU football position battles that are winding down in fall camp as the Cougars close up camp coming up on Tuesday. So I'll share my thoughts on the position battles in fall camp. Also going to get an early look on the bowl game outlook for BYU in 2022. Share my thoughts on that. There was an interesting bowl projection from a college football insider earlier today that, that caught my interest. So we'll hit on that and a whole lot more here in the show. But again, BYU football wraps up. Fall camp coming up on Tuesday. Uh, they're going to have a scrimmage on Tuesday, and then the media will talk to the players and coaches afterwards on Zoom, uh, which is which is a bummer. We don't get to watch any of the scrimmage, but we will talk to the players and coaches afterward on Zoom coming up on Tuesday afternoon, and then fall camp will be done. And by all accounts, this has been a productive fall camp for BYU. It hasn't been one that's been mired in controversy or season-ending injuries. No season-ending injuries to this point of camp. So knock on wood there, BYU's okay on that front. Guys have been banged up. You know, Gunnar Romney got banged up. Dallin Holker got banged up. But everyone is expected to be available for that USF game coming up on Saturday, September 3rd. And at this point of camp, you know what the personnel is going to be. You know who you're key difference makers are, it's now time to, to get ready for USF and identify, too, who's going to be on that travel roster. BYU is going to travel around 72 to 75 players on their travel roster to USF. So uh, figuring out who those players are going to be is something key for this BYU football team. I was actually writing down the, the personnel that I thought would probably be on 
the travel roster in my projections. Uh, so if you got about 75 guys traveling to Tampa, BYU will leave on Thursday, September 1st. I'll be leaving that same day as well. And so it's going to be that typical from the west to the east, leave a day early to get acclimated to the time. But, you know, these these spots coming up on Tuesday's scrimmage, it's honestly, that's going to be probably the most critical thing is figuring out who are going to get those maybe last remaining spots on the travel roster. I, I look at the roster and I see probably, you know, three quarterbacks going to go, J- Jaron Hall, Jacob Conover, Kate Finnegan. Where it will get interesting is how many offensive linemen and how many defensive linemen they end up traveling. Elisa Tuiaki talked about how they could have 11 guys. And to me, the 11 guys along the defensive line that I would travel, if, if just my forecast, what I think it could be for BYU, would be Alden Tofa, Earl Mariner, Tyler Batty, Fisher Jackson, Blake, Mangle, Blake Mangelson, Isaiah Moa, Hunter Greer, Lorenzo Fawatea, Gabe Summers, Nice Amahe, Caden Haas, John Nelson, Josh Larson. That would be the group. I think that's a little bit more than 11, uh, but that would be the, the amount of guys I would take to USF. I don't think you can have any shortage of defensive linemen. you got to have enough bodies to keep those guys fresh because I looked at the early forecast for Tampa, and there is rain in the forecast, but it's... Going to be humid. The UV index is projected on September 3rd to be extreme. So it's going to be hot, as we all know. Uh, So you got to keep those defensive linemen fresh in the game. The position battles, though, as camp winds down, and we'll have a full recap of fall camp uh, winding down tomorrow here on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and, of course, kslsports.com. Some of the notable position battles. The offensive line's been a battle because who's going to be that starting five? This is the starting five that I would go with from left to right. Left tackle, Blake Freeland. Left guard, Clark Barrington. Center, Connor Pay. Right guard, Campbell Barrington. Right tackle, Kingsley Suamata'ia. The sixth guy, the first one off the bench, I would say is Harris Lachance. The real debate comes down to Harris Lachance and Campbell Barrington at right guard to me. Because I think at that spot, you know, Campbell Barrington's a guy that could play any one of the positions along the offensive line. Do you keep him as the sixth guy to where he could step in on a moment's notice and plug into one of those spots if needed? That's kind of one of the interesting thoughts about, you know, that that right guard position. But otherwise, I think that's your starting five. And I'm not going to lie, I would say you should just play the, the five guys. On defensive line, rotate. Keep them fresh. On offensive line, to me, I think you roll with the same five every single down, in my opinion. I know Daryl Funk and Aaron Roderick plan on probably playing seven or eight guys in that game against USF, and that's fine. It's okay. I just think with the O-line, though, you got to have that continuity every single snap, the same guys. Now, the luxury that BYU has, knowing that they have what they believe is maybe eight starters, if someone's struggling, if someone's not performing well and they're allowing defensive players to get to Jaron Hall, they can hit the bench and that reserve then steps in because Jaron Hall has to be protected at all costs. 
you cannot afford to lose Jaron Hall under any circumstances. And honestly, you want to avoid that guy taking any sort of hits. And so if any offensive lineman is struggling and they can't handle their one-on-one assignments against the opponent, well, then you go to the next guy because you've got the capable bodies in this offensive line room to step in. And I think the level of play can continue. There's not much of a drop from, you know, a Campbell Barrington to a Harris LeChance. Harris LeChance was a week one starter at offensive tackle last year for BYU. I think Joe Tukuafu could do a nice job at center. So the competition's always going to continue every single day. But I think that is one of the nice luxuries that BYU does have when they have that confidence with eight guys that are starter caliber. They can change the pieces if needed if someone's not playing well. But I expect this offensive line is going to be outstanding. I look at that 2020 Navy game as kind of a, not the standard every single week, but I think they've got that ability on a consistent basis to push people back. And I think you're going to see some pancakes from this offensive line. I think this group's going to get aggressive. I think they're going to be nasty. This is going to be the best offensive line, I believe, in the 21st century at BYU. It's high praise. I mean, there's been some good ones. You think back to 2006, you get guys like Jake Caressa were on that offensive line, Dallas Reynolds. There's also been some individual talents as well, but I think as a collection, this is the best offensive line when you look at the athleticism, the size, the strength. This is an elite group, and you're talking about potential future NFL offensive linemen along that line. But that's how I see it shaking out on O-line. Safety position, it's going to be Ammon Hanneman. That's, that seems to be the indication. Malik Moore, Ammon Hanneman. And honestly, Ammon Hanneman's probably played the most. You know, he had a handful of starts last season, appeared in 10 games. He's got a lot of experience. He's also got the trust of Ed Lamb. So that shouldn't be much of a surprise. But I think it is another situation where you don't have the level of play like you do an offensive line, I think there's there's a drop in the second strings. I'm curious, though, to see how quick Micah Harper inserts himself into the number of snaps he plays in games. Micah Harper last year suffered the ACL injury. This year was dealing with a bit of an ankle in the first week of fall camp. He's now back, ready to go, full strength, as full strength as he's going to be. How quick does it take for him to maybe become the starter, or play more snaps in a game, does that end up shaking out with Micah Harper? So that's something interesting to watch. I will also say, too, at the safety position, and I talked about him back in June quite a bit, Ethan Slade, Orem High safety, former walk-on, or he is a walk-on. He's one of the most improved guys in fall camp. I'm going to put out my piece on the players that have improved their stock the most in fall camp, and all indications point that Ethan Slade is one of those guys. So he's another maybe obscure name to Cougar Nation that'll get a lot of run, I think, in games this season. He might be the third guy. So I think you look at potentially Ammon Hanneman, Micah Harper, then it's either Talon Alfrey or Ethan Slade, in my opinion. Then you got Matthew Criddle as well, who's got a lot of experience too in his own right. I mean, Matthew Criddle... Played a lot last season due to all the injuries that happened. He got some starting experience as well for BYU's defense. So they've got experience in that safety room, but it's still who's the superstar in that group? Because BYU's always had great 
stars at safety. Think about, you know, over the years with Kyle Morrell, you've had Aaron Francisco, you've had Chris Ellison. You've had really good safeties over the years. You just have. Andrew Rich is another one. Kainakua. Is anyone going to emerge and become a superstar at safety? Maybe Malik Moore. If he shores up the tackling side of his game, I think Malik Moore could be an NFL guy. He's athletic enough, and I think that he's just got to clean things up on the tackling side of things at that safety position. Wide receiver three, likely going to be Keanu Hill. Uh, Fessy Sataki even said as much on Saturday, on Cougar Sports Saturday with me and Matt Biamonte, that he's still in that wider wide receiver three spot. Then it becomes Chase Roberts, Braden Cosper, and then Cody Epps. That's your top six. But what is notable about that wide, re- wide receiver three spot is that Fessy Satake said to us on Cougar Sports Saturday, ideally, he would like his top three receivers to play 80% of the snaps. So that's why wide receiver three was a significant battle coming into fall camp. Yes, Chase Roberts is going to play. Yes, Braden Cosper and Cody Epps are going to play. But that's a 60% increase of workflow from 20% to 80 uh, in terms of just the number of snaps you're going to play, barring an injury. I mean, they've got the depth necessary that if Gunner has an unforeseen injury and has to be absent, I think they can still continue at a high level. But, uh, you know, Fessy has shown in the past that he rolls with three guys and he stays consistent with them. And Keanu Hill has done enough to beat out Chase Roberts, Cody Epps, and Braden Cosper to this point. I think Keanu Hill's had a nice camp. Uh, The first day of camp, he dropped a pass. You're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, is he ready to answer the bell and be that number three guy? Uh, But since then, I thought he's done a nice job. In the observation windows that we've seen, he's done a really good job. I mean, he's always been in the first unit with Puka and Gunner out. They've been, you know, observing and sending signals into the offense. Those guys, Gunner or Keanu Hill has been uh, part of that first-string offense for BYU. So expecting a a step up for him. And he's got a chance, too, Keanu Hill, to maybe be wide receiver one next year. Maybe it's Chase Roberts. We'll see that that competition will rage on next year. But uh, that's that's why this is valuable for Keanu Hill, for him to win that third receiver spot uh, is pretty significant for BYU. I think also at the nickel position is interesting, and I've said it all along during the year, but I really believe it. If you want to get the best 11 on the field, I think Jacob Robinson has got to be that, that starting nickel. And Kalani Sataki said on Saturday that he and George Udo, Micah Harper's another guy, those three are the top three at that nickel spot. I think Jacob Robinson's the guy at that position. Now, he's also playing cornerback, too. And it's tough because at cornerback, they've got an established four with D'Angelo Mandel, Caleb Hayes, Gabe Judy Lally, and Jacob Robinson. And Gennaro wants to play all four guys. He's going to play them all at that cornerback position. Do you bounce Robinson back and forth between nickel and corner? I mean, some some games it might not require the nickel. It might not require that fifth defensive back. But uh, I just think, again, that if you want to get that best personnel at all times, Robinson's got to be at that nickel position, in my opinion. Uh, and I think that that's where things are trending. Because I think out of the the four cornerbacks, I think he'd probably be the fourth best one. That's not a knock on him. Because there's some talented guys at that cornerback room. 
But D'Lo, Caleb Hayes, and Gabe Judy Lally, they're, they're above Jacob Robinson in the cornerback space uh, to me. I would even, you know, another name to keep an eye on at cornerback, which is interesting, and saw this in fall camp, and he got a lot of run there, was Jacob Boren. Jacob Boren played a lot last season in the nickel position, but his speed, I will give him credit. He is an incredibly fast football player, one of the fastest guys on the team. He's got a lot of speed. And I think, you know, he makes up for that, you know, the lack of size, the lack of measurables, which General Guilford loves in his cornerbacks. There's a certain makeup with all these guys in his cornerback room right now. Uh, but Boren maybe could be a guy that could see some time at that cornerback position because of that speed that he has. I think the linebacker spot is pretty much set. Uh, you know, Keenan Peely's going to be at that Mike linebacker. You're going to probably see... Uh, you're going to see Peyton Wilgar and Ben Bywater on the outside. I mean, Max Tooley's right there, too, at that fourth linebacker. And then you get into Pepe Tanavasa. Michael Daly's a third string. Mike Linebacker. So uh, linebacker position is solid. They're really good. You want to make sure that first line, though, stays healthy. I do think there's a bit of a drop in the second unit. But I think that that position is in good hands if they can stay healthy because Keenan Peely and Peyton Wilgar, they're looking like they're back to full strength. And that's a promising thing for BYU as they get ready for the South Florida Bulls coming up on September 3rd, which, by the way, tons of coverage coming your way on game day. So here's the lineup for, for that day, September 3rd, BYU and USF. So kickoff is going to be at 4 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Mountain. It's on ESPNU. You'll hear the broadcast on KSL News Radio at 10 a.m. Extended pregame coverage live from Tampa on KSL News Radio. You'll hear me and Matt Biamonte breaking down the game on News Radio. Also, in the morning, you will see this lovely face for those of you on the stream right now. You'll see this lovely face on KSL 5 TV with a pregame show. So we'll have more details on that in the coming days, but uh, it's going to be a busy, jam-packed day, Saturday, September 3rd, and KSL Sports will have you covered. It'll be wild, too. We'll have, on our KSL Sports team, I will be in Tampa covering BYU. Michelle Bodkin will cover the Utes in the Sunshine State as well with the Florida Gators and Utah game. And then on the KSL Sports Zone, the voice of the Aggies, Scott Gerard, he'll be in Tuscaloosa for Utah State and Alabama. So wild and crazy day in week one in the state of Utah. Everyone's going to be in the southeast. It's going to be pretty cool to see all the football action down there in the south. It's going to be hot. It's going to be humid. But uh, looking forward to it nonetheless. Cannot wait. I'll be flying out August or excuse me, September 1st for BYU and USF in Tampa. For any Cougar fans that are going to Tampa, share in the comments if you're going or which road game you're going to this season. But there will be a lot of coverage this season for BYU football on all the KSL Sports platforms. KSL 5 TV, KSL News Radio, and of course kslsports.com and the KSL Sports Zone. BYU football, their bowl game situation has... Tim Johnson, when did you say pregame starts on September 3rd? 10 a.m. Mountain Time. 10 a.m. on KSL News Radio. 
I'll get things started on the legacy home of the Cougars. 2022 is the last year for BYU football in the independence era. And independence, I don't think anyone is going to be shedding tears that independence is going to be done. I mean, I think everyone is ready to move on to the Big 12 era, rightfully so. Independence has been nice. It's allowed BYU to play some amazing games, some amazing venues. But the realities of independence always rear its ugly head in the postseason, in the bowl game outlook. And I bring this up because it's always a question that gets brought up. What bowl game will BYU play in this year? I've got a piece up on the website, kslsports.com, talking about BYU's bowl game outlook for 2022. But something that else caught my attention today, Brett McMurphy released his bowl projections for the 2022 season, and he has BYU going to the Birmingham Bowl to face South Carolina. And I must say, that would be an amazing win for BYU just in terms of quality of opponent. Look, South Carolina will probably be at best a 7-5, and 6-6 six and six football team, but it's an SEC team. BYU doesn't have much to pick from from their bowl situation. Going into this year, they're going to be contracted to go to an ESPN events bowl game. ESPN owns those games, and they'll slide BYU into a game they see fit. The logical thought is that ESPN would slide BYU into either the Frisco Bowl, the New Mexico Bowl, the Myrtle Beach Bowl, the Hawaii Bowl, and I say those games because... They don't have any designated conference tie-ins to those games. So from a logistical standpoint, it's easy for ESPN to say, okay, BYU, you're going to play this Conference USA scrub in Hawaii. Enjoy the islands, but this is a terrible bowl game for you in your 9-10 win season. That, that's kind of the easy thought. The Birmingham Bowl is also owned and operated by ESPN and ESPN Events. They've currently got conference tie-ins to the AAC and the SEC. So the thought here would be if McMurphy's projection held up, BYU would fill the AAC spot and face an SEC team. Let me just say, if BYU goes 10-2 and this year, and they could, I'm saying 9-3, and that's my prediction, but still, 9-3 and three should be a nationally ranked BYU team with this schedule. If BYU goes 9-3 and three or 10-2, and two, ESPN needs to move some things around and put BYU in the best possible game. Hopefully that happens. You know, BYU has done a lot for ESPN. ESPN's done a lot for BYU, yes. But still, I would like to see ESPN do right by BYU if the Cougars have a nationally ranked season. It's going to be hard to get to the New Year's Six. This is the one year where it's very difficult to get to the NY Six because there's only one at-large bid, and that would be at the Cotton Bowl. And if they did get that, they would play the Group of Five team, which, whatever, but just that's just how it would work. I'd take it, though. Cotton Bowl would be great for BYU. But I would hope that ESPN would align some sort of game like this one that McMurphy's talking about 
where BYU plays a South Carolina or an SEC team. BYU's never played an SEC team in the postseason. They played Texas A&M and Missouri back in the day, but they were members of the, the Southwest Conference and the Big 8, respectively, in those times. So hopefully BYU and ESPN can reward the Cougars if BYU holds up to their end, a 9-win season, 10-win season. Hopefully they get BYU a Power 5 opponent. Because to me, I don't want to see BYU playing some Conference USA, Western Kentucky. Sorry, no. It's just that that would be a slap in the face to BYU. Then it would become, well, you know, you get to go to Hawaii. It's like, who cares? You're playing Western Kentucky or you're playing some Arkansas State. Who cares at that point? It's a no-win situation. Last year, BYU was in a no-win situation, and the players didn't care, and they put it allowed a sour taste in their mouth for that uh, memorable season. But I can also understand where they come from. Last year was different, though, because the Independence Bowl was contracted. The people that were creating the narrative that, hey, they could go to this bowl, no, they can't. <laughs> Independence Bowl was contracted. That's where they're going all along. The hoopla over that was just ridiculous last year. How people were like, how did this happen? It was a contract. This is different. BYU has 16 games that could be possibilities for their postseason. I love the idea of BYU playing South Carolina. I don't care if South Carolina is 6-6. BYU against an SEC team, sign me up. BYU fans would rally behind that. They would get on board. They would show up. They'd buy tickets. ESPN needs to do right by BYU. If BYU has a good season, even if they only went 8-4, and four, do right by BYU and give them something good. BYU's done anything you've told them to do. Give them something good for once. But when Tom Homo said at Media Day, we just got to hope it's you know a good situation, hope it's a good bowl, you go, ugh, Frisco Bowl, here we go. Hopefully not. Hopefully it's something decent for BYU in the postseason. And that's where, again, probably the most value in the Big 12 affiliation is simply the bowl tie-ins. And I know bowl games are being put down even further than ever before. Like, honestly, they're just glorified exhibitions. They don't mean much. But still, you want to see a cool opponent. You know, you want to see a Power 5 opponent. BYU has only played two Power five teams in the independence era. And one of which was Utah. The other was Washington. So it's just BYU hasn't had the luxury to play great opponents in the bowls anymore. It's not that UCF or, you know, UCF was a good opponent. That was a good one. That was probably one of the better ones, honestly. But it's just, it, it, that's what made the 80s and the 90s such a special time for BYU football was that, okay, you're going to the Holiday Bowl, yes, but you're going to play a Big Ten team. You're going to play some Big Eight team, some Southwest Conference team. There was always these amazing matchups. That's something that get, that no one ever gives any credit to when it comes to BYU's bowl history. Yeah, you didn't go to a New Year's Six. You didn't go to a BCS Bowl, but... You played bowl in bowl games when they mattered, when teams cared, when there was only like 10 bowl games, 15 bowl games, and BYU was playing great teams. 
BYU is showing up to the 91 Holiday Bowl as a you know three-loss team, and they're playing seventh-ranked Iowa at the Holiday Bowl. Can you picture that now? BYU as a three-loss team is probably going to the Frisco Bowl, and they're going to play some scrub from the MAC or whatever. It's like, come on. Come on. Hopefully, this postseason situation for this BYU team is a positive one. The great thing about BYU, and I think their players, and you saw it last year with Tyler Algier and two years ago with Zach Wilson, these guys don't throw in the towel. I mean, it's amazing when you think about it. Zach Wilson, the number two pick, played in the 2020 Boca Raton Bowl, a game that meant nothing, nothing, and he played. Tyler Algier played in that sleet-filled Independence Bowl, which I have to think is the worst bowl game that BYU has ever been at. He played. It's amazing. So that's the bowl situation for BYU. Hopefully they can get Brett McMurphy's projection playing an SEC team. I think that would be great. I think Cougar fans would rally behind that. That's going to do it for this edition of the Cougar Tracks podcast. I hope all of you enjoyed it. Make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, Google Play, Spotify. Leave a rating and a review. It helps out the show a ton. I'll be back tomorrow on Tuesday for a fall camp finale special here on Cougar Tracks. Maybe hop on with Matt Biamonte. We'll recap fall camp, so stay tuned for that coming up on Tuesday. We'll be back to the regular schedule on Wednesday with a high noon edition of Cougar Tracks. Football season is almost here, Cougar Nation. Keep it locked. The Cougar Tracks podcast and on kslsports.com. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.